We're actually in a brand new series I'm going to kick off for us, and it's called The Hall of Faith. Now, it's not called The Hall of Fame. It's called The Hall of Faith because it's different. And so for the next few weeks, there's one chapter in the book of Hebrews where the writer just starts listing out a bunch of heroes of the faith, of of men and women that just did incredible things. And so we're going to kick it off. This is our theme verse for the entire series. It's this, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, the heroes, the men and women of old, the the people that we are standing on the shoulders of giants. This is them. This is what they were commended for, not for what they did, but for what they knew that God could do. And this is our key thought for this entire series. Fame recognizes what you have done. If you have fame, it's for something that you've accomplished. But that's not faith. Faith says, I want to recognize what God can do. Faith or fame is all about what you've done. Faith is all about what God can do. Your accomplishments are over. They're done. And once you leave this earth, they'll, they'll leave with you. But faith says, no, God can still do it with or without us. Come on. He is a good God. He's a faithful God. And that's our guiding thought for the rest of this series. Now, I showed you that passage a second ago, and uh, what happens is the writer lists a bunch of people just in detail. He talks about Adam, he talks about Abraham, he talks about Moses, and he's telling all their stories, and then he does what every Pentecostal preacher has ever been guilty of doing, as he spent so much time talking about the first few things, and he had a lot of things he wanted to get to, and then he kind of just hurries it up, and this is what he says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. So he's like, look, I was going to write about all this, but frankly, my hand's hurting, I'm cramping up right now, my number two pencil's broken. Basically, these people did great things. And he kind of leaves it at that. But I highlighted the guy that I want to talk about today, and his name is Samson. All right, so all the men in the room, you can kind of puff your chest up today because we're going to talk about a real guy's guy today. Look, even even if you didn't grow up in church, even if this is all kind of new to you, you may have heard the story of Samson. If you did grow up in church, you definitely know the, the flannel graph version of the story of Samson where, you know, basically I can give you a little profile. Uh, he was super jacked, okay, just super strong, super jacked, really tan all the time. He honest, if you need a picture of him, he looked a lot like me actually, so it's real. That was not supposed to be that funny. You guys really, super Jack, just tan, you know, had really long hair, which we'll talk about in a second, but first guy to ever rock a man bun and make it cool, you know, like total ladies, man, all the ladies loved him, which we'll talk about that as well, because that got him in trouble today, and uh, man, he was just, he was just, he was a real ladies man, and you know, I, I, I told you, I feel like he you know, has a lot in common with me, and, I, and maybe I'm not super jacked and super tan, but the Lord did something because I didn't travel here alone this weekend. I, I am here with my beautiful fiance, Esther, and we are about two months away from getting engaged. Esther, can you just stand really quick? I just want, I just want everyone to see you because you laugh when I compared myself to Samson, but come on. I mean, she was, she was buying it. 
a little bit. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm totally joking, by the way. But she's uh, been visiting with all my family, and I don't know why, but all of my family has been feeling the need to tell me, you know, she's way better looking than you are. Like, they feel the need to just keep reminding me, and they're like, you know, I don't get it. Like, why is she with you? I don't know. But Samson, he didn't have this problem, all right? Samson was, was a ladies' man. It got him in trouble all the time. And, and we, we, if you've heard the story of Samson, you know him. For his greatest failure, all right, it was just an epic crash and burn. And basically, he made the mistake that no man should ever make, right? He let his girlfriend cut his hair instead of his barber that he trusted. You know what I'm saying? Come on. There's one guy that's allowed to cut this hair, and his name is Miguel, and he is at the salon over there in Rockville Town Center at the Dominican Barbershop. And I'm telling you right now, ain't no one else touching my hair but him. All right, so Esther, you can keep your hands off, all right? He's the only one allowed. But Samson said, you know what, Delilah cut my hair, and, and you know the story, he's captured, and, and we'll get into all of that. We know Samson because of his failures. We know him because of his failures, but, but he's listed in the hall of faith, in this, in this chapter, with men and women of great faith. And the reason that that might be a surprise to some of you is because maybe you haven't ever heard the full story. Maybe you didn't read it all the way through to the very end, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we even get to that, let's jump in at the very beginning of the story of Samson. So an angel appears to Samson's mom before she's even pregnant. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to her. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Now let me pause and give you a little context here. A Nazarite, that's basically the name of a vow that was made in the Old Testament for people that would be set apart. They would be different. It was an extra set of standards to make them even more pure. And there were three rules to follow a Nazarite vow. And you heard them even listed there. Rule number one, no alcohol, okay? No wine, no fermented drink, nothing. Rule number two, they were not allowed to eat anything unclean. They were never allowed to eat any unclean food, nothing from dead animals, anything like that. And number three was that a razor couldn't be used on their head, no haircuts whatsoever. That's it. Three rules to be set apart. And here's why he was to be set apart. That he would be dedicated to God from the womb, from the womb. Now, I want to pause right here because I felt the Holy Spirit this morning telling me that I need to say this. And before I do, I want you to know this, okay? I say this with conviction. I say this with as much grace as I can because we do not hold anything against anyone, what they've been through or anything like that. But I need to show you this, that he was dedicated to God from the womb. You know what that means? That means God really does value the life of a child inside the womb. And I say that today with the most honor and reverence, no matter what you've walked through before, the life of a child in the womb, it matters to God. If it didn't, then he would have waited till after Samson was born in order to give him the Nazarite vow. But even in the womb, his mom wasn't allowed to eat or drink those things because that was the Nazarite vow. So I just, I just felt led by the Lord to say that to somebody today. So he would be dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 
Now, when you think about this Nazarite vow, you might be thinking, man, that is so extreme. Like, what? That's really extreme. Like, no alcohol, not even like a sip? Like, what, what even is unclean food? You can't get your steak rare? Like, what, what does that even mean? You know, no haircuts. His hair is going to get all gross and split ends and all that stuff. Like, why? Why so extreme? And the reason that I believe God wanted Samson to take that Nazarite vow is because at this period in time, which I don't have to go into a lot of detail, but the nation of Israel was going through some stuff. They were struggling. There was immorality. It was really, really bad. And they needed a leader that was more moral than they were at that time. In other words, Samson was called to a higher standard because he was supposed to lead the nation of Israel into a higher standard. He was supposed to lead them. And that's why he took that Nazarite vow. And so today, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I believe if, if Samson were on this stage right now, giving us his Hall of Faith induction speech, and he was telling us everything based on his life, what we should know. These are some of the things that I think he would tell us. The first one goes with this. Be different if you want to make a difference. Look, if you want the world to be different, you got to start being different. I feel like the world that we live in is in the state that it's in because Christians have decided to just back away and let the world run itself. When Do you know how much pain and heartache and sickness and disease would be vanished from our earth if Christians would just step up and live the lifestyle that we were called to live? Samson was supposed to be different. He was supposed to be set apart. Even if it seemed extreme, it desperate times call for def, desperate measures. And let me, let me say it a little bit more simply. Dedication, it talks about how Samson was dedicated to God. Dedication to God should make you look different than the world. It should. Not in an arrogant way where you can get boosted and feel good about yourself because you took a selfie on that mission trip. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real difference. Like you're walking around with a real love for people. You're walking around with a lot stronger conviction because you're dedicated to the Lord. The, the world should be able to see a difference between someone who's dedicated to Jesus and someone who's not. So that's my question to you. Do you look different? Like are your standards any different than the rest of the world. Because to be honest, I'm, I'm really concerned. I am, I'm really concerned about Christians in America today. Because I don't see the, the desperation, and even in my own life sometimes, I don't see the desperation to be dedicated to God. I see more of a desperation to see how much can we blend in with the rest of the world? How much can we get away with before we're not with God altogether? And we ask the question, not how close can I get to God, but how far away is too far? And that is a dangerous game, and we'll see it in the life of Samson's, but come on, you were meant to change the world. And I know that sounds like hyperbole and it sounds like, okay, yeah, change the world. I'm serious. I'm serious. You were meant to change the world or at least change somebody's world. But you're sitting here trying to make a difference. You're trying to lead from the middle of the pack. When God said, no, 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 you're not going to be conformed to the patterns of this world. You're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't want you in the middle. I want you out front. We should be leading the causes of social justice in our areas. We should be leading the fight against racism. We should be leading the fight against human trafficking. But we've sat back and we've let nonprofit organizations 
organizations that they're only going to do it in the name of humanitarian. I don't. I didn't plan on saying this, but I feel like preaching right now. We're going to sit back and let nonprofit organizations do it in the name of humanitarianism, which is great and it should be. But humanitarianism doesn't get us to heaven. Humanitarianism doesn't lead us to Jesus. The only thing is whenever people make a decision to say it's all about you and I'm going to be what you want me to be and what you want me to be is devoted to your children. That's the standard of living that we were called to live to. But in the same way like you and I, Samson starts compromising. He knows his standards. He knows right from wrong. And then he starts compromising. So let's, let's keep going with his story here. Verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. As they approached the vineyards, the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. Now, Samson knows, he knows that he is not supposed to be drinking alcohol or any fermented drink whatsoever, none. So I want you to just connect the dots here. What in the world was he doing in a vineyard? If you know there's something that God has forbidden, why would you try to get as close to it as, oops, hello, the spoiler alert there. Oh man, there it is. All right. Why would you go? Yeah, let's just pretend you didn't see that part. All right. Why would you go to a vineyard if you knew that God told you not to drink? And he's there and he's flirting with it. And then a lion shows up, right? And I don't think it's a coincidence that when he's in the place that he shouldn't be, that's when the enemy shows up. That's whenever he gets attacked. And you know what he probably could have done that most of us do is when we make dumb decisions and when we go places that we shouldn't go and then the enemy attacks, you're going to sit there and blame God even though you were the one that put yourself in that situation. But all of a sudden it's God's fault because you decided to go there that weekend or you excited to stay the night there when you know you shouldn't have. Come on, you know, you know when you're somewhere that you're not supposed to to be. Then the lion shows up. And so then, even though that he was in the wrong place, look how good God is. Still, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Aren't you so glad that we serve a God that even when we do dumb things, even when you put yourself in dangerous situations that he didn't put you there and he told you not to go there, but even when you go there anyways, he still shows up and he still says, I'm going to bail you out of this again and again and again. I'm going to be there for you because I don't ever want to see you go astray. So the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And then this is what happens. So that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. And, and I love, I love this, uh, this little wording here. The reader is assuming, or the writer is assuming that the readers know what it's like to tear a young goat. Just Let me just take a quick poll here. Has anyone ever actually torn a live goat? And if so, I'm going to call PETA on you, okay? Like this is... It's really dangerous game here, but he assumes, he's like, yeah, you know, we tore the line apart kind of like, you know, like you would tear apart a young goat. And it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know how to tear apart a young goat. In fact, the only thing we use goats for nowadays is this right here, okay? This is, this is a little humor for you, but this is, this is not something made up. This is a real thing. This is called goat yoga. And instead of using goats as, as food nowadays, we just play with them and let them stand on our back while we get in really uncomfortable positions here. I don't know. Anyways, I just thought that was pretty funny. That has nothing to do with anything I was going to say. 
Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a, a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. He went and he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. And he doesn't tell his father or mother what, what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Now, here's the thing. Here's how you know you're doing something wrong or you're somewhere you shouldn't be. When you do something as awesome as rip a lion apart with your bare hands and you've got to keep it a secret, that's how you know you're going places you don't want to go. Because what a cool thing. That could have been a really, really cool story. If I had ever torn a lion apart, with my bare hands, I would make that my introduction when I come here. Hi, I'm David Waldrop. I'm the campus pastor of Go Church. I tore a lion apart with my bare hands one time, and uh, I'm just happy to be here. He did something amazing, but he's got to keep it a secret. You don't have to keep good deeds a secret. If you're doing something that ain't no one going to get upset about, you don't got to keep it a secret. But if you're doing something and you say, you know what, I hope so-and-so doesn't find out about this. You know that you are way past that gray area, and you are, you are in some dangerous game, my friend. We've got to get better with these things. Healthy things don't need to be kept a secret. So he goes down, talks with a woman, and this woman wasn't even Delilah. He liked her because he loved the ladies. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, the lion that he ripped apart with his bare hands, he looked at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Okay, He saw a swarm of bees and some honey. So then he scooped out the honey with his hands, didn't even wash them, all right? Didn't even use Germex or nothing. Just, I told you, man, this is a man's man, right? I don't need, I don't need to wash my hands, man. It adds a little flavor to it, right? He reaches his hands in there, scoops out honey from the dead carcass, and he ate it. As he went along, when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But again, he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, I say all that to say this. As you can see in his story, we put all the blame on Delilah in this story, but men, it's time to stop blaming women for, for the problems that you are, you are causing to yourself. Look, he started falling way before Delilah even stepped on the scene because he had three rules that he was supposed to follow. He wasn't supposed to drink any fermented drink, yet he's chilling in a vineyard, all right? I know he wasn't there taking selfies, okay? He was not supposed to drink anything, but he was there drinking wine. He was not supposed to eat anything unclean, but he ate honey out of a dead lion. And then the only other thing that he had left was to get his hair cut. He had already compromised two of those three vows that he had taken. He started a pattern of compromise. Now, when we look at his story, it's so easy for us to say, yeah, what a dummy. You know what? Yeah, he shouldn't have gone there. He shouldn't have done that. But, but I'm telling you right now, he probably told himself the same thing that you tell yourself when you talk yourself into doing something really foolish. He said this, and it always sounds like this. Well, at least I'm not going this far. Well, at least I'm not compromising all of my standards. I know, I know this one girl in high school that she did way over here, but I'm only right here. No, 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 no. Come on. What you're doing is you're starting a pattern of compromise, and you're teaching yourself that once you get past one hurdle of a standard, you're just going to keep going and keep looking for more and more and more. 
And if you would have asked Samson, even at this part of his life, if he would ever divulge the secret of his great strength that could bring him down, getting his hair cut, if you were to ask him at this point, he would say, no way, no way. I would never tell anybody about my hair. I would never tell anyone the source of my strength. I don't care what it is. If you would have asked him that then, that's what he would have said. Yet, if you know the story, he ends up telling Delilah, and we'll get into it in a second, but he ends up telling her the secret. Why? Why? Why did he do that? Here's why. And I want you to hear this. If you keep doing the things that you know you shouldn't do, then you'll end up doing the things that you said you'd never do, okay? This is true. Come on, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to you here, but I want to help you because this is helpful for me. If you keep on doing those things over and over and over, you are teaching yourself that compromise is okay, that it's okay to get past it as long as you don't do this. And then by the end of it, what's left? That last thing that you would never do, that's the last thing you will do. That's where it's leading. So you got to shut that down right now. Come on, look in your heart. What are those things that you're doing that you say, yeah, well, at least I'm not. Come on, no. Stop. Stop it right now. Shut it down. Because it's only going to lead to you doing that thing that you would never do. So here's how the story goes. All right. He, uh, he ends up, uh, you know, Getting further on in his story, sometime later, okay, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So now let's jump in and let's talk about his famous failure. It, at this point in the story, right, the music changes, right? It's not all happy and cool. Now it's, you know, Delilah steps on the scene, dun, 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 right? She's coming to ruin his life, right? And this is what happens. He meets her. He falls in love with her. And then this, verse 5. So the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. These are his enemies, the Philistines. We want to know the secret of his great strength. How can we overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him? How can we beat him? And so she's like, okay, I'll do this for you. I'll try to help you out. And so she goes to Samson, and I'm, I'm going to skip a lot because just for time's sake. She goes to Samson. She asks for the secret of his strength. He tells her a fake one. Then she comes back, tells them. They come and attack him with that. He wins. He beats them up. She gets upset. She's like, why don't you love me enough to tell me the truth? And then she asks him again. Same thing happens. He tells her a lie. They come back and attack. This happened three times, over and over. He kept tricking her. And then this is what happens. With such nagging, such nagging, there are some husbands in here laughing right now that you are going to have a long ride home, my friend. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Because isn't that what sin does? Isn't that what your temptation does? It just doesn't go away. You, you defeat it. You might overcome it one night, and then the next night, this, that computer, that website, it's just waiting on you. You know, that bar is just, it's just waiting on you. That person that's not your spouse, that you've been, it's an innocent flirty texting right now, she's going to keep texting over and over. Come on. Don't, you got to shut it down every single time because sin nags and it keeps coming back over and over. And so then you know the story. Come on. Here's where everything changes. He got sick to death of it. So he told her everything, everything. 
No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, what he doesn't say, I would become paralyzed. He just says, I'll become as weak as any other man. He's not getting paralyzed here. He's getting humanized. He's, he's not able to just, he's not shriveling up and dying, but he's no longer going to become set apart anymore. The thing that made him different is what made him effective. But now he's going to be the same as everybody else, and things are going to start to change just a little bit. Verse 18. So, man, and I want you to notice this. I want you to notice, I highlighted this word for a reason. When Delilah saw that he told her everything. Now, those other three times when she asked for his weakness and he kept lying to her, she heard it and she just went and did it. But this time, man, this time it was different. She saw it on his face because he probably made that same face that you make every time you know that you went too far. He probably, it was probably on his face where he said, look, no razor's ever been used. Yeah, no razor's ever been used on my head. There you go. That's everything. Told you everything. The thing that I said I'd never do, I just did. And it'll show. Come on, it'll show on your face. Even when you try to put on that smile when you get ready for church in the morning, that pain that you're hiding, come on. It's obvious. It's obvious there was something that he wanted to hide that he couldn't. She saw, wow, he's telling me the truth. So she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. His strength left him. That moment he never thought this would come. This is what happens. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. I've been in this situation before. They've bound me up multiple times. I always break free. What's the difference? Come on, I can do this. I can do this. And then here comes just one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible. I, I really believe this. This is the most heartbreaking scripture to me. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even know that the Lord had left him. You know why this is so sad? Because if he didn't know that the Lord had left him, then that means he never knew that the Lord was with him. And if he never knew that the Lord was with him, he thought he was operating on his own strength and he thought he was all that because he was able to do these great things. But now all of a sudden something feels different. He couldn't do it. He did not know that the Lord had left him. So then this is what happens. The Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes, gouged him out took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him grinding to grain in the prison. Man, he's right here. He's at the lowest point of his life. Like it, it can't get any worse for him here. He's lost his strength. He's lost it all, including his eyes. And if Samson was here today, giving his hall of faith induction speech, yeah, the first thing he would say is be different, be different so that you can make a difference. 
but he didn't do that all the time. So I think his second lesson for us would be this. You don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. He would tell us today, come on, he would tell us today, look, I was blind way before I lost my eyes. I was blind way before I got here. And I want you to think about this today. As you think about your own life, when you make those decisions that you know you shouldn't make, you're probably asking the same question that he was probably asking in his head. How did I get here? How? This was not the way that my life was supposed to go. I wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be like this. It was supposed to be happy. I was never supposed to be in this situation. How did I get this far away? And it's because for him and for us, he was blind to a few things. Let me tell you really quick. Before he lost his eyes, this is what he was blind to. The first one is this. He was blind to the strength of his standards. That Nazarite vow, okay? I know it was extreme, and even when we look at it today, we're like, man, that's extreme. Like, that seems a little excessive to take that vow. But, but we talked about this. That's what set them apart. That's what made him different. That's what made him so strong. If maybe, maybe you're in here today, and, and you're maybe a non-believer, or you're a, at least a skeptic to Christianity, or maybe you've talked to one before. A lot of times, this is what they'll say, or this is what you might be thinking. Uh, I don't want to be a Christian. There's, there's too many rules. There's just, there's just too many rules. It's all about doing all these right and wrongs and, and checking off all of these boxes. Like, I want to live free. I want to, I want to have freedom. I don't, man, it's, it's such a straitjacket, Christianity. Uh, let, me, let me give you a little metaphor here to tell you why that's totally the opposite to be true. If you were to take a fish out of water and put the fish on dry land, you would not be able to convince that fish that it has more freedom on that dry land than it does in the water. If the fish were to say to God while swimming in the water, God, if you loved me, if you really gave me freedom, I could go on that land. God would respond and say, no, I love you enough to keep you in the water because it's in the water that you were designed to flourish. If you go outside this water, you are going to flail around and it will lead to your death because you were made to be in the water. And in the same way as a fish to the sea, that's the way Christians are with the holiness and the standards of God. We were made to thrive by God's standards. Even look at this Nazarite vow for a second here, not drinking any fermented drink or, or alcohol or anything like that. To some of us, that might seem a little excessive, but God's saying, no, I need you sober. I need you sober. If you're going to lead my nation, I need you sober. That's the way that you're going to thrive. And then don't eat any unclean food. That was God saying, look, we don't have good hospitals these days. That's coming much later down the road. If you eat something unclean, it could kill you, Samson. I need you. I need you to lead. The rules that God gave Samson were meant to give him strength. Christianity is not a straitjacket of legalism. It's a strength jacket. It gives you strength. It doesn't confine you. It's what sets you free to use your purpose, to be able to make a difference. It's not about right and wrong and do's and don'ts. It's about what's the best for you. Following Jesus will make your life better by making you better at life. Your life will get better because you will get better at life by living in the standards that God's called you to. And I wish I had like seven people that just knew that it's better to do life God's way than our own way. Come on, don't be blind to the strength of his standards. Number two here, the strategy of his enemy. The strategy 
of his enemy. Look, if you, uh, if, if you look at what the, the enemy loves to do, he loves to tell you this one thing. Because we, we look at what Samson does, right? We say, come on, you're, you're crazy. How did you let your life get to that point? How would you let it get this bad? And you can judge him all you want to, but you're saying the same thing in your head that he was saying in his head. This is the strategy of the enemy, to get you to think to yourself, well, if it makes me feel good, then it can't be that bad. Like, if it makes me feel this, she makes me feel so good. Like, it just feels, she's so beautiful. She's so sweet to me. Like, I, I just, she makes me feel so good about myself. Delilah is the best. There's no way that she could possibly be bad for me. But that's nothing further from the truth. The strategy of the enemy is to get you, even if you like something that might not be that bad, but it makes you feel good. It might not even be in and of itself that bad. But he wants to take the things that make you feel good and give you so much of it that it strangles you. He wants to give you so much of those good feelings that it chokes out your spiritual life. And he was living his life this way. Let me tell you guys, the, the advice to follow your heart, that's the worst advice you could ever hear in your entire life. And you know this, because your heart changes all the time. You wanted to marry that guy in high school, and now he's ugly, all right, and, and you thank God, right, because you, you wanted him then, and now nothing could be further from the truth. And I say something silly like that, but it's true. Your emotions change. The thing that make you feel good, it changes, and that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to say, yeah, yeah, keep doing what makes you feel good. Oh, you want more of this? I'll give you way more of this than God can give you. You want to feel good? I'm going to give you good feelings. Nowhere in Bible, nowhere in the entire Bible does God say, therefore, go and do what makes you happy. Therefore, go and live a comfortable life. Make sure you enjoy it every day. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus says, take up your cross. Take that up and follow me. It's going to be hard. You're not going to be popular for it. You're going to have to make a couple of people upset in a loving way, but we're not going to compromise truth. Come on, this is, this is the way that we're called to live, and that's the strategy of the enemy, is to get you focused just on what makes you feel good. And then the spirit of the Lord. This is the saddest one to me. Samson was blind to the spirit of the Lord. We addressed it a little bit. There are three times, and I didn't even read all of these. You won't see it on the screen. But there are three times that Samson did something absolutely amazing, but it always came right after the following words. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. We, we already talked about Judges 14.6 where he kills a lion with his bare hands after the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. How about this one? In Judges 14, 19, Samson beats up 30 guys by himself, and then he actually takes their clothes to show it to some people because he, he was like gambling and those kind of things. And so he had to show like, look, this is what happens when you mess with me. After the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then, and then this one, this is my favorite one, Judges 15, 14. They had him, a thousand guys in the Philistine army had him tied up, bound up, Right, he, They were taking him into the enemy's camp, and then the spirit of the Lord, okay, not Samson's strength, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He broke free from the ropes, and then he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and killed all 1,000 dudes. That is a seriously amazing thing that happened. That would be like me taking this microphone and killing all of you with it, all right? I'm a bad man. Don't come at me, bro. I'm serious. 
That's what Samson did. He said, oh, okay, uh, you got me tied up. No big deal. The spirit of the Lord comes on him. He rips those things off. He says, oh, yeah, this will do. And then, you know, he does his thing, man. A thousand people, a thousand people, all of it after the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But he never knew it. And that's what we talked about. He didn't know he had the spirit until the spirit left him. And I don't want any of us to make that same mistake. Let me talk to myself for a second. I want to talk to anyone who ever holds a microphone at any church that's listening. You need to understand this. Whenever you get praised, whenever you get credit, whenever you get told how great of a communicator you are, how great of a preacher you are, you need to deflect that stuff really quick because it will get in your head. And I'm telling you right now, if you've never stood up here or preached before, you got to know this. The enemy loves to tell you, man, you're a good, you're a good talker. You're a good communicator. You got to shut that down. Shut it down so fast. You were never meant to be the sun which gives light to the world. You are meant to be the moon which just bears a reflection of the sun to say this is how bright the sun really shines on my dark surface. That is what the spirit of the Lord gives him the power to do. But he didn't realize it. So we can see Samson was blind way before he lost his eyes. And he stopped being different so he stopped making a difference. And unfortunately this is where most of us have stopped reading about Samson. We say, oh, man, another great potential down the drain, another good guy down the drain. But you got to finish. Now, I'm going to put up this next verse on the screen, but I want to hype it up for a second because this verse should get you really excited. If there's any Pentecostal people up in this place, this should get you a shouting because this is really good news for Samson, and it's really good news for you. They shaved his head. They bound him up. They threw him in prison, and then the very next verse, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Come on, man. When the Holy Spirit gets involved, you don't need no Rogaine on that ball head. Come on, somebody. That hair's growing back. The things that were dead can come back to life. We've been singing about it this whole time, but it's true. And I know some of you people out there, some of my bald men, you know, love you guys, but this needs to be your life verse right here. You need to be praying this thing every day. Lord, let it grow back in the name of Jesus. Come on. The things that are dead can grow again. In other words, I think Samson's last point, and I can get the band to come up here and close for me. The last thing I think Samson would tell us is this. Your failure is not final. It is not over. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose. God's not making a mistake by leaving you alive. If you're breathing, there's a reason for it. Your failure, even if you've done something incredibly irresponsible, you are not completely useless. Your failure does not have to end. So you need to ask yourself, where are your fresh opportunities growing up after your mistakes? Yeah, the enemy can, can, can shave your head, right? The enemy can shave away all the things that you thought you needed. But God can always make it grow back again. So come on, what opportunities do you have to be used by God? Let me show you Samson's story of redemption, and then we'll close this thing out. Here's the end of the story. While they, this were the Philistines, okay? These were the bad guys. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. 
When they, stood among, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, about 3,000 men and women were watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. This, this changes everything. Because in the entire four chapters of Samson's story, there's only two times where he prays. One time is here, and the only other time is before this, and he's basically whining about being thirsty, and he just tell, he literally tells God, I've fought this battle for you. You owe me something to drink. Like, you owe me. I need this from you. He prays the same things that most of our prayers sound like. God, if you love me, you'll give me this. And that was the prayer that he prayed. But this time, this time, it was different. He prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Let, let me tell you why it's significant that he started his prayer with sovereign Lord. And I know the word sovereign can be kind of a churchy word. Let me tell you what it means. It basically means that God is in control of everything. So for the first time in Samson's life, he's finally saying, God, you are in control. Now I get it. You were the one that gave me the power to defeat all those men with the jawbone of a donkey. You gave me the power to rip that lion apart. So Lord, you were in control then, and I need you to get back in control of my life right now. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, please, I'm begging you, God, strengthen me just once more. I'm not asking you to restore all my fame, all my accolades, my platform, all the following I had. I don't even need that stuff anymore. Only thing I want is one more chance. God, just give me one more chance. I promise you, give me one more chance and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Here's what we learn. Don't wait until you're humiliated to start developing humility. Start right now because humiliation is coming. When you keep living your life in sin, I am telling you, sin will make you get to a place of humiliation, but humility is on the other side of it, but it doesn't have to be. You can develop humility before it gets to that point. And here's how you develop humility the same way Samson did. You pray. You pray. If you've tuned out everything, you gotta tune back in to just these last three minutes because this is, this is where everything changes. When you don't pray, consciously or subconsciously, you are telling yourself that your life does not need God to be involved. When you don't pray, you are basically communicating to yourself everything I'm going to do today, I can accomplish by my own works. Now that's either really arrogant or really naive, or it means that we are really lazy Christians. I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life bold enough to where I desperately need to pray, because if I don't pray, that means I'm gonna be operating out of my power, and if I'm operating out of my power, I can only do worldly things. But when I pray, it says, no, God, I wanna do something that's better than the world. I wanna bring a difference to the world that you can bring, so I'm gonna pray to get you involved. Come on, we gotta start praying. So show up this Saturday, first Saturday prayer. Come on, flood these altars. We gotta pray. You want your family to change? God's the only one that's gonna change it. Come on, that's, we gotta get God back involved. Here we go. 
Continuing Samson's story, then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Brings down the entire temple. And then thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson was able to accomplish more for God in his humble death than he was in his entire arrogant life. The moment he developed humility, it cost him his life, but he was able to make the biggest difference he's ever made. He's not in the hall of faith. He's not mentioned in Hebrews 11 because of how he lived. He's mentioned because of how he died. Now, told you again, this is where you got to listen. This entire sermon has built up to this moment here. Samson, Old Testament. Samson had to die for his redemption. But Jesus, Jesus died for your redemption. Jesus took the weight and he said, in the same way, we are no different than Samson. We all deserve to die. For Samson, the only way he was ever going to be redeemed for his mistakes was to die. But God said, I'm going to change the game up just a little bit. Someone's got to die, but I don't want it to be them anymore. I'm going to let Jesus die for them. Jesus will pull the temple of death down on his own head and die along with death so that they don't have to die anymore. Redemption can only come not by your efforts anymore. Now, redemption comes by the grace and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Samson were here today, I think his mic drop moment would be after he begged and pleaded with you to take advantage, to use, to to understand, to grow in your knowledge of the grace of Jesus. Samson would say, man, I would give anything to be in your shoes because you don't have to pay the death penalty for your own sins. God paid it for you. He would beg you that if you haven't done it yet to receive the grace of Jesus because if you try to pay for your own sins, it will kill you. It will kill you physically the same way it killed Samson and it will kill you spiritually. It is not by might. It is only by the spirit of the Lord that you can be reborn and that's what makes God good. That's what makes him worthy to sing about the goodness of God and that's what we are about to do. Now, I wanna give you an invitation to receive this grace of Jesus because look, if you try to save your own life, it's gonna kill you. It has to. It has to. Whoever's trying to pay the penalty has to die. But only God can give you the resurrection from it. So come on, I'm begging you. I'm not doing this because my worldview is better than yours. I'm doing this because God is real. He just is. He just really is real. And not only is he real, but he's really powerful. And not only is he really powerful, but he just wants a relationship with you so bad. So come on, don't run anymore. Come back to him or come back or come to him for the very first time. Every head bowed every eye closed, nobody looking around. Come on, don't feel embarrassed here. This is the best thing you could ever do. If God really is real, there is nothing more important than this. Not your family, not your job, not your future plans. There's nothing more important than this decision. If you're in here and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you've never received the redemption that can come from him, 
I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Come on, if that's you, if you've never received, I see your hand, I see your hand. Come on, I see another hand, I see another hand. Anyone else, you're making that decision today. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray for you. And after I pray, we're gonna sing about the goodness of God. And if you raised your hand, all I want you to do is tell God how good he is, acknowledge that we're sinful, acknowledge that we don't deserve it, and believe that he's the one that can fix it and commit your life to it forever. Don't let it be emotional hype. Let it be real. Let it be genuine and let it be life-changing. Lord, I thank you that there are people in this place that have decided to make you the Lord of their life. <clears throat> Father, I just pray that you would help them to honor their commitment to follow you, to acknowledge that they're sinners in need of a savior and to spend their life praising you for being so good to them. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen.